When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from the Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week, guess what? I'm excited. I'm always excited, but this week I'm especially excited because we actually have three live bodies in the room, in addition to myself. That's right, we have three guests. We have Tony Cascarino, James Scowcroft, fresh off uh, a trip to Paris, I believe. No, no, Later on this afternoon. Thumb- yeah, you, thumbs up doesn't really work. It's Paris or Anfield, and Paris just won. Can't, can't blame you. And of course, our favorite Parisian, second favorite Parisian, sorry. It's Who's uh, the first one? Nicholas Anelka. Oh, okay. It's Julian Lawrence. And it gets even better because later in the program, we will be joined by Henry Winter, the man, the myth, the legend, fresh off his trip to Barcelona to talk to Ivan Rakitic. Or maybe it was Ivan Rakitic who wanted to speak to him. Later on, we'll be going through Arsenal and Swansea, talking about a bit about youth development, which uh, James Cocroft knows a thing or two about because he used to be young and then he developed. And uh, we'll be running through the rest of the Not Premier as much League. As you, though. He's getting, he's getting <laughs> a shot set early this week. Wonderful. Before we move on with the show, I need to tell you that I'm pretty excited because we have a sponsor now. It's FanDuel, fanduel fanduel.co.uk. It's uh, what allows us to continue bringing you uh, the game podcast uh, for free. Now, some of you may know FanDuel. It's uh, a daily fantasy the UK version or our sponsors, it's a bit different uh, than uh, uh, the US one. Uh, so you may want to uh, listen up uh, on this. But basically, daily fantasy sports, you can play for free or you can put money in. If you put money in, you can win money. You have uh, 100 million pounds to spend. You pick your team. Thus far, it sounds like standard fantasy. But what's different about this and what I like about this is that it's not just, uh, you don't just get points for goals, assists, clean sheets. They, they have a whole formula that's uh, based on, on Opta stats. Uh, that awards points. So it's hopefully a little bit more reflective of a player's true performance. And and actually, if you're a bit wonkish like myself, uh, you can actually go online and you can find out exactly what that formula is uh, and how they award points. Uh, and if you sign up with a promo code, the game at fanduel.co.uk, they will return your entry fee as a free credit uh, up to 10 pounds if you don't win cash in your first contest. Now, my producer, Dave McGuire, and myself, we're going to be entering uh, next week, and uh, we're quite excited. You can go and compete against us. You just need to go to fanduel.co.uk and enter the promo code THEGAME. Let's go to the Etihad. Cass, City and Everton. Now, 
I was curious about how they were going to react. Obviously, after the mm. uh, the Tottenham defeat in the back of their minds, they had uh, they, they have, of course this huge game coming up midweek against uh, against Barcelona. What I did not expect was that hey, look, he goes back three. Mm. He, he was always pulling something out of the hat. That guy. Uh, were you surprised by that? Well, I was surprised he did it so quickly. I think what he learned against Celtic and Tottenham that in the full-back positions, they're struggling. If you can get City out wide and there's space, you can utilise it to take get an advantage in a game. And I think he, he clearly thinks his full-backs are not as good as he would probably like. He's yeah, had but, some fantastic ones, hasn't he? Other yeah, but, right, but he doesn't now. But Julian, the thing is, he goes back three. It's not like his full-backs aren't getting on the pitch. Clichy is still there. You still need somebody. So, And, and Clichy gets beaten 1-1 one one by Lukaku yeah. on the goal. So... <laughs> I'm not sure. It's something he did before at Barcelona, more by Munich, in more a covert way because there it was. Yeah. It was the it was Busquets or or whoever dropping, dropping. into the back three, but and but you had still, guys pushing on. But here you don't have the guys pushing on. You no, just but by Munich, you saw him three. doing exactly the same at yeah. Munich. So maybe his his own evolution of the way he wants to play. I thought it was interesting, and I think it will work. But maybe with three proper centre backs. When I don't know, maybe when company is back and and when you don't have Clichy there because Clichy. Yeah, so he had two proper centre backs before, didn't he? He had Poyo and Piquet, who, who you could fit in another one alongside them because they are natural defenders. Certainly, Poyo. Yeah, it's a really, really bad comparison. The reason being, is it? Oh, I thought it was quite a good one. I, I think it's a terrible comparison because, because remember, he also had Mascherano at the back, who very good, but not yeah. a natural centre half. I would not a traditional one either. He done very course, well there. You know, he did, no, but the point is he does well with guys who aren't national natural centre backs. Because at Bayern, of course, he, he played David Alaba there. He played freaking Josh Kimmich there, although Kimmich apparently can play anywhere. You know, the six foot, twenty year old attacking midfielder, and you say, Hey, go play centre half. I mean when we think about it, it's it's kind of crazy. In fact, do you think do you think he overestimated he's he's underestimated it a little bit with the strength of the Premier League? Uh, you know, I'm sure in at Barcelona in Bayern, but you get Players like Lukaku, if you're weak at the back, like I say, mm. took advantage, you know, and that, that, that's... It's possible. I, I think, though... I don't, I don't think that, you can take chances. Where whoever you are in the Premier League, I think your your back three, back four, has to be strong every single week. Mm. Well, it's funny, actually. While we're on Pep, he also gave this... Um, I tweeted it out, like, I don't know where the hell he gave this, but it was, like, tweeted out, like, 3 o'clock in the morning last night, so I don't expect anybody to have seen it. But he said that... People talk about the intensity of the Premier League. Is the post-match press conference? Yeah, he said he said the 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 intensity in the Premier League is no different than it is in Germany, Spain, or Italy. Now, I have my own views on this. You played in France, but that was a few years ago. It does kind of fly into the face of what we're constantly told by Sky and BT Sport about. Mm. You know, there's nothing like the crash bang wall. No. Is it true? Is it is it changing? Is are actually is there really not that much difference, especially if you're in a top side because. The other guys just generally all kind of sit back and wait for you to attack. I mean, is it really that intense, guys? Well, is it is it I, that different? <laughs> I, it was a different era, but I can put my uh, hat on from the French corner because I found it incredibly intense playing certain games, and it was very demanding. And yes, teams did play with certain types of players. I think we exaggerate it, but the exaggeration of it happens at every club where there's you know. Every team has a certain way of playing. I think there's um, an element to it in England, but I wouldn't say a Bournemouth now fit into that mould. I think they they play a very fast-forward thinking game with very nippy, quick players. Not really. He's tried Glenn Murray at centre-forward. He's okay, had a couple of them. Talk about Bournemouth. Uh, no, I'm sorry, talking about teams, talking smaller about Glenn, teams. No, no, but what, but what I'm saying is, is the intensity of, of, of the matches. I don't know. I'm, 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 you you yeah, need yeah, to ask the, the guy who asked the, the question right. and what Pep meant. But. I don't what know, was interesting it. is that Samir Najri, on the same day as Pep on Saturday, 
came out after Sevilla won and he scored a goal and he said, I like it here in Spain because it's not the same intensity as in England. He said in England it's constantly one, you know, box to box, box to box. The, the, the two teams go straight, you know, straight forward, yeah. straight away. He said here in Spain, you know, it's not as intense. It's not. It's as also pacey. special. Yeah, it for, for Nasri to say, you would believe him that well, he doesn't feel the same intensity. Can I, can I just say sorry, one no, no, quick on point. The na- no, no. Yes. Uh, no, because I need to address this Nasri point. It's a weird thing to say, especially though, given the team that he plays yeah, on and, and the, the manager, manager that he plays, plays for, for. Because I know Jorge Sampaoli is probably more intense than. But I guess when you play the manager, Ganes, which was the game. But yeah, no, the other team. Saturday, yeah, they're all standing around maybe. and waiting. Yeah. I just love the way Pep said it as <laughs> but, well, and because in his answer, if if people haven't seen it, and if you haven't, go and check Gab's timeline on, on Twitter. But it's the way he said, like. Oh, come on, guys, you have to stop about that intensity thing in England because, believe me, it's the same in Spain and in Germany. And it was, it was just... He said Italy so too, now, which uh, was awesome. Italy as well. Yeah. Can I just add, look, well, the one team we'd have said, if we'd have sat here from last season and said lacked intensity, we'd have probably gone Man City, wouldn't we? Yeah. Because they did lack intensity. So he certainly had it his own club, um, but that's not a case across the board. I think there are certain teams. I think Chelsea lacked intensity exactly. last year. The whole, point. the whole point is that there's there's a variety. And I know yeah, there there's is this variety. whole, like, this is so intense, nothing can match it. You can talk about excitement, you can talk about packages, you can talk about size of clubs, you can talk about whatever you want. But, yeah, maybe he does have a point. This, this, I think this is a subject to return to. Scoey, yes. intensity or not, this was a match that, Obviously, you you have the two missed penalties and everything. You've got the chances. You have some outrageous saves from Stecklenburg. You know, we go back and we can say, oh, look, we you know they dropped two points. Maybe it's a hangover, but they could have won this like 5-1, right? Exactly. You know, if you look at both the penalties, they're poor penalties as well. But I think Pep's one of those. It's two points dropped, isn't it? And he'll be kicking himself after the game. I thought Man City did okay. But you say, you say he's going to be kicking himself. He said after the game that he's not kicking himself because he said we played really, uh, really well. It's just sheer bad luck. Yeah. Well, he's yeah. just contradicting himself, isn't he? Every, every player, every manager, if you played really well and you haven't won the game, you'll be slightly disappointed, won't you? You know, it's two points that they that, that dropped. really enjoyed their performance. I thought it was sensational at times. City. Did, did, did you think... Were you a bit surprised that Kuman sat off them a bit? I sort of thought like maybe he'll go and try to play to approach it because mm-hmm. he's, you know he's done it before. He's used a high press before, and it's Southampton. Maybe he's got different players. Maybe you don't really want to be I don't doing think that. It's a way to play against them. No, well, I well, it worked I, out okay for Tottenham, right? Yeah. See, it's a it's a strange one because Man United. One thing that surprised me in the, the derby when they played City is that United come second best in the physical matchup when they try to fight them for every ball. City were very comfortable. And so it's a very tricky one because Tottenham the week, yeah, you know, weeks after do it and get away with it. But I thought the fullbacks with Tottenham were way more important. I, I thought the fullbacks were, for Spurs were brilliant on the day as well. It's, it's different scenarios, yeah. isn't it? If you go to the Etihad, I, I personally would, would drop off, yeah. park the bus, call it whatever you want and say, right, come on to us and we'll exploit the space that you've and left they've in got behind. Balassi's, um, if, you, if you're speed, at home and you're yeah. Tottenham and you're Ch- it's a different yeah. scenario. Yeah. And yeah. I'd go along with that. It, it, Julian's probably also a question of the players you have. It's if I go exactly. and decide to, to to press you with Lamela and and Son and guys and Dele Alli, you know guys who are smart and super athletic, you know, great. If I try to do it with no disrespect, Yannick Bolasie and Gerard Delefeu, who are outstanding footballers, but they're not exactly athletic, you know, yeah. or or, or Bolasie is athletic, obviously, but, but they're not they're, they're not that kind of disciplined, coordinated press type people it's, it's going to blow up in your face yeah definitely and I think like like Scott said it's easier to do at home than away from home it's easier probably to do at Wahart Lane where the pitch is smaller than at the Etihad where they'll have most, but even at Spurs they kept playing from the back even when they knew they were going to be under pressure even when the whole Spurs team was 
on the, in the faces. They're still playing, and I think that's great. I think where Pep was going to be disappointed, it's not maybe the, a bit of the result and everything, but it's the way they considered that goal. Just to go back on that, how is it that Clichy is one-on-one with Lukaku, where it's still nil-nil at the time? It's, it's again, it's the same issue he had at Bayern Munich, but too many players forward you just they have to think better when they're attacking you just can't stay so exposed and so open to the point that Lukaku is one-on-one with Galicici at home you know in a game that is still yeah. nil-nil see if you want to go, th- you that's go, where they have to improve even more yeah if you was up against a one-on-one say for a, I don't know argument sake a, a centre-forward like me a Ricky Lambert a John Artson oh. who weren't going to burst past you if, if the ball was played in the channel well Lukaku wants to be in that situation so that's why I think Pep gets it wrong sometimes yeah, is not understanding the opposition to have a guy will that will expose you yeah. if you're left on a one-on-one and Balassi as I'm well gonna, I'm going to play devil's take advocate or, or Pep's advocate here for a second I take your point that you know if I have Gareth McCauley back there out in the open field but isn't Clichy's whole shtick that he's super quick and I realise he's not a central defender. Not that he's not going to be strong. One on one, one mistake. Yeah. It could be a physical. It could be speed. Yeah, you obviously there, don't want to leave no... anybody one on one. But I'm saying is you'd rather have cliche one on one, perhaps in the open field, than maybe Otamendi. It may be a guy of his same height as him, and fit, but physical. If Lukaku's on one on one and a shoulder at shoulder, he's right. Yeah, no, he's, he's gonna, he can, he's well, that's the thing with Lukaku. Him. He can yeah. run past you, or he can run you over. Yeah. So exactly. you know, there's yeah. not much that's you can do. Is cliche the, the ideal one v one person with him? I don't think so. No. But he would be ideal if there was... Somebody if of your it was size, Delu- possibly, with right. his pace. Okay, that's true now. Um, <laughs> but it would be... But certainly, if, if it were Delu fail, you'd rather have Clichy against him, wouldn't you, than Otamendi in the open field? Yeah. So maybe that was part of his thinking. I think Pep's got to realise oh. how to stop the counter-attack. I think it's all possession. When we're going forward, but I think out of possession, probably they've got to improve a little bit, Man City. I want to talk to Everton for a minute, because I didn't quite know what to expect of them this year. Right? Obviously, we saw what Koeman did. I thought he had a really strong club behind him and a strong setup at Southampton. At Everton, with a new owner coming in, they're, they're, they're kind of rebuilding. But I think he's done, he's done really well. And if I have one thing is, that guy Mason Holgate, why don't we see him? Are we going to see him again? Did, am I the only one who liked this guy? All right, forget, it. forget, forget. I mentioned Mason Holgate. <laughs> I saw him play a couple times out of the year. I thought he was good. I'm yeah. sorry. He's no, got no, time. He's no. got time to come back. What's realistic? Because I think this is a really, really good team in it terms of the players. Remember, There's a lot of quality there. I remember mentioning them with Corey in a, in a podcast a few weeks ago, maybe, and we said, let's see when they face you know proper opposition. Let's see when they face proper team, like you know really strong teams. Let's see what they're made of, especially away from home. And yet they were a bit lucky on Saturday. You, you can't, you know, they can play that game another nine times and they will lose the nine yeah. times. Hmm. But they still got a point, in fairness. It would be great for their confidence. You know, they don't play in Europe, don't forget, which is a huge advantage as we saw last season. And I think the the, the, the recruitment in the summer was just spot on, yeah. you know, from Ashley Williams are they relying, to Bolassi. Are they relying I'm, on, a little bit like Tottenham did with Harry Kane and Ericsson, Delhi, are, are they relying on three or four individuals if Lukaku got injured? No, if, I, I never felt they could get close to the Champions League with Tim Howard in goal. And then... I didn't think they were fit as a team last year. And I know Koeman touched on it at the start of the season. But I watched Ireland play before the Euros. And definitely Seamus Coleman weren't as fit as he should have been. Nor was McCarthy, James McCarthy, nowhere near as fit as he should be. So you were having quite a number of the positions in their back line. I, I, I looked at them and I thought it was a, a club that smelt like it was in a bit of a comfort zone last year. Nearly all their teams signed new contracts last year. Nearly all their players. And they had, I thought, a really average season. I saw them at Norwich last year. They blew Norwich away for 45 minutes. It was 1-0. Second half, you would have thought, 
they change kits because Norwich <laughs> blew Everton yeah. away and yeah. end up one way. It's a completely different ethos in the group. I think his mentality of what we just spoke about Barca for Kuman, I think he's brought that to Everton of the way players have to think about their fitness first and foremost. Obviously, I didn't think Martin Stecklenburg was going to be. I just don't think he's very good, but he was. He's, he's been. He's been good, he's not. and he was good on this day. But um, <laughs> he's I, not. I, but he was him, I, was, I was in Amsterdam for a Netherlands France on Monday last week, where he was dreadful and made a big mistake on a good shot from Paul Pogba, but he should have saved it easily. And then on Saturday he has the game of his life. So I want to take a quick look about the Barcelona game, so we can throw forward. So obviously they have uh, they have Barcelona coming up. Uh, midweek, it's maybe actually. Let's ask our Champions League expert here, <laughs> Julian Lawrence. For those who don't know, there's this great show on on BT Sport with uh, the excellent Thank James you. Horncastle, uh, the excellent Howard Webb, and some weird German guy, and James Richardson too. Also very good. Yeah. This is maybe the second truly box office Champions League game that we've had this year after after Bayern and, and Atletico Madrid. Yeah. What's your sense? Do you think? I mean, Pep's already people are going to make a big deal. Pep goes back to Barcelona, but he's he's, he's been, been back. Yeah. Is the subtext sort of Pep and Luis Enrique trying to outwit each other? I like that. I like that. And What is the subtext? The subtext is, I think, Pep and Luis against each other. I think the fact that Barcelona played three at the back of the weekend, which was very interesting, and Luis Enrique saying, we, you know, we might do it again in midweek. Pep playing three at the back. So maybe. Roberto's definitely out? I don't, I, I don't know. I think it might be just today on Monday morning. It might be too early. But if they go three at the back each which maybe Pep played three at the back against Everton to prepare for the Barcelona game. That that would be very interesting. I think Messi coming back, you know, at the right time, he, he came on at the weekend, scored, scored. On, his third, on his third touch. Kevin De Bruyne coming back as well for City, so everybody would be there. Well, pretty much everybody would be there. It's going to be fascinating. And, I, and, I, and I, just, I just can't wait. I don't think Pep is going to lose there. I don't think City are going to lose. I know everybody sees Barca winning and everything. I think Pep is going to come up with a plan, whether that's three at the back, whether, whatever. But like you said, he always has something in his heart. And same, I think the same plan that he came up with when he was buying manager. It's it? a different team. It's a different season. Uh, <laughs> it's a, well, you can't compare. No, it's, I, I, I thought that night that he got it so wrong and realised after 20 minutes he had to change it around. But I, maybe that's the reason why he's not going to get it he wrong spoke, this time. He spoke in midweek or, or before the game Saturday that how do you handle the Suarez, Messi and Neymar? How do you handle You can't do an individual man-to-man marking job on them. I, I just see that being the ultimate difference in the game. Arsenal and Swansea, Theo Walcott, two goals, he hit the woodwork twice. I, okay, I put I put I picked the team of the week for, for, for ESPN. I'm one of several people on the on the jury, on a jury which includes European Cup winners and England legends like Paul Mariner. We all had Theo Walcott in our team of the week. And then I kind of watched the extended highlights and I sort of thought to myself, you know what, if you're Wenger. You could easily like sit him down and point out like fifty things he could have done better in the game. Is this just Cass? Is this like a peculiar Theo Walcott thing that even when he's good, um, all these big flaws come up? Well, there's a lot of anti Theo Walcott in football. I, I certainly did. You call him Theo Walcott? For Theo Walcott. Okay, sorry. But anyway, um, there's yeah. a lot of people. Which is quite surprises me that uh, Theo gets stick on every level, and he's always compared to Terry Henry. Well, yeah, he's playing for Arsenal look at his goal ratio and I looked at it this morning because I thought he's got quite a good one I think in my head and look at it, he's played 155 times in the league scored 60 goals he's played 89 as a, a sub I think that's pretty pretty decent he had a terrible ACL injury that I thought he was playing the best football of his career when he when he did it and never came back the same quite 
clearly for a good number of months. He's FA Cup, he scored 7 in 16, uh, League Cup 9 in 15, and he's got 16 other goals in 37 games. By the way, so Cass, has memorized, Cass has memorized all these figures. No, he's I'm most not, definitely I'm not looking at his phone. He's like Rain Man. You know, I, I, get I, a wonderful 4G no, reception no, in there. I'm saying this all like this. Uh, while I'm reading it off is because when I was coming down the train this morning, I'm thinking, do you know what? I think Theo's got less than a 1 in 3 goal ratio which isn't bad for a guy that's not a centre-forward. I think he can play centre-forward. I think he's also very unlucky that he plays a centre-forward's role where he's never had a partner. Now, it's hard to score goals on your own. It's easier with a partner. But Wenger has always played him as a right-sided or down the middle. I think he's... He's getting criticised, right. even when he could have got But five. I don't think Wenger's going to start well, playing 4-4-2 to suit, no, to suit the okay, Walker. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you look at him as an individual, you can actually say that his goal ratio... It does determine that he could play centre forward. So this is the case for Theo Walcott. Is it consistency that's his biggest problem? Uh, you know, I don't think anyone would I die. Think... He's, he's got ability. He's got pace. Yeah, he's, I understand. He's versatile. James. You know, at the moment he's he's on a reasonable run, but then he just goes missing for not a couple of games, I, three I, months. I would have said when he did his ACL, he was playing frighteningly good football, and he didn't go goals. missing. He scored fourteen goals this season. Yeah, and, and he and he was frightening in that period. I think everybody was played against him would have known that Fio was absolutely on his game. He came back and he struggled with that criticism. If he had, any, he was in and out the team. England has never really worked for him in the last couple of years. I think Theo is and, a and very dangerous really player. taken a big game by the scruff of the neck? It's OK, Swansea at home, but has he really gone to, and I'm sure people might prove me wrong. Uh, I'm sure we could all give an example whether I said, well, if you consider it a Aye, big Mancini. game of Croatia. So the United against... game last season, the Manchester United game, was the really low of the lowest of Theo Walcott yeah. last season. And I think after that he realised that he had to you know, kick himself in the butt. He's a confidence player. For somebody who's been around so long as well, He's 27. 27. You know, Wenger always says that a striker is big and, you know, you two probably know it will be between 28 and 32 because as a striker, maybe you mature a bit later and, and for Theo Walcott, surely maturity... Yeah, I wouldn't say that. Those days are gone, mate. Yeah, I don't know, but I think for me, yeah. for me, Walcott at 27 is reaching his peak now. Yeah. I think people have been really harsh with him before because he was so young and, you know, the World Cup, all this and that. And I think, you know, pe- people get mature later than others and I think mm. at 27, there's still plenty of... Can I put something different forward here I have nothing against the guy he makes an absurd amount of money with his injuries and his inability to get in the lineup I think he's contributed a lot less than his wages warrant and some of that is not down to him but I look at this right Arsenal play 4-2-3-1 some variation thereof I will always I think I'm assuming most of us feel that if you have four slots in your front four two of those will automatically go to Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil simply because they're far far better players than Theo Walcott, right? Yeah. Nobody's disputing that. So you have two slots left. And he's competing against Iwobi, who I actually think is really, really good. Aaron Ramsey's going to come back at some point. Giroud as well. Giroud, who yeah. I actually kind of like, but a lot of people seem to think is some big French joke. But, you know, uh, but it gives you something different. Uh, they spent a lot of money on your on your pal, Lucas Perez, who's injured. No, he's not injured. No, he is injured. We don't really know. We don't know who this guy is. And we have Oxlade Chamberlain. It's just a lot of competition. And to me, Wenger's actions speak louder than his words. If he really believed in this dude, he wouldn't have a bazillion attacking midfielder types, stroke forwards, who can do what he does. Welbeck. Welbeck's going to be back. I'm not saying Welbeck is necessarily better than Theo Walcott, but Welbeck at his peak is not far off Walcott at his peak, is he? No, I agree. agree So Different players. Are are they really that different? Yeah, I think so. One one guy, sorry, can you explain this? Because one guy, as I see it, plays on the wing or up front. 
the other guy plays on the wing or up front. I think Welbeck's best best position down the middle. Definitely. And I don't think Theo And you think Walcott is a winger? Yeah. Yeah. So Cass was just talking nonsense about his scoring record. No, 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 stop, stop deflecting the blame. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you now, Welbeck is down the <laughs> middle. Right. And I think Walcott we've, we've spoken wide. enough about Walcott for the rest of the season. The Shaka red card, I'm curious about, because there were all these people saying, well, it should be a yellow. He's not violent, but it's just so freaking unsporting. It's just so stupid, too. Don't tell me you've never seen one of those before. No, I you've have. Seen have you seen you any red cards for that before? I think they should always give a red card for that. Come on, Gab. On no, the no, halfway no, no, no. Line. I, I'm, I'm not saying that's what the rules say. When it ha- but I, I think they should fix the rules so that if you do stuff like this, you're off the pitch. It's got nothing to do with football. Yeah, it's, it's cynical. It was very cynical. But as an Italian, you would know because it's something yeah, very but I don't common like in your it. country. I know. And we don't do it anymore. Like- <laughs> Except for Chiellini. Yeah. You oh, invented it. It's hard. You, you can't argue that it's not a red card. I'm sorry. You know, you, you, might, you might want to change the rule, but the rule... That is now, it's just not a red card. It's, just, it's, just, it's, okay. it's a huge mistake. In the grand scheme of things, Arsenal still won. You're laughing. I'm uh, laughing at you because I'm just thinking of, wonder what Gab Marcotti's like at home. He's missive, serves, serves him up on uh, poached egg on toast with beans on toast. And I don't if eat the poached egg is on the left side not, of the I'm toast, not toast not your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that poached egg should be on the right <laughs> side of the toast. <laughs> I do most of the cooking at home and I do not eat baked you beans. Not I'm not I'm not English. <laughs> well, do you have to be English to eat baked beans? Maybe Irish people do. You, actually No, don't even ask me about beans on toast or all that. Is it a lot of pizza? Your kids are your kids are half Welsh, right? Yeah. Do they eat baked beans? They like baked beans. Yeah. I even take some to France for them. Really? When we're going on holidays. Anyway, you've got a couple of has-beens in here. You impressed by Bob Bradley? After one game? Have I, got, I, I was surprised that Swansea actually were very adventurous. I know they were chasing a game, but I thought they were quite brave in a way and just kept going and it could have ended up nicking something because first half they were totally out of, outplayed in every department. Gab, after one game... Of but it's one game, but then again, he's had, you know, a week of training with the guy with... Too, way too early Far to too make early. an assessment of how well he's gonna he's done in that particular game. And, and somebody said, oh, new managers always do this. And I don't think they always do it. Some people do it. He, he questioned the fitness of the players. It is true. It does happen a lot. Mm. Why do managers do this? And, and I came to the conclusion that it's they don't necessarily want to criticize the previous manager directly because that's a bit gauche, unless you're Mourinho. But this way you can go and criticize the fitness coach so you're kind of criticizing in previous regime but not really no, it's um, a dig at them the old manager if you if you if you turn up and say these lads aren't fit enough that, that's a dig at the manager yeah and there are some but it's not a direct a lot of it's not as bad as saying that, that you lot yeah, aren't yeah. fit enough right yeah. you know this is what I, we're doing i think there are some cases though they are, there are new managers coming and i think everton was one of them we touched on earlier where well, i that's totally different believe they, that it's a, it's a totally different way of playing yeah. but I, I don't know. Does this kind of stuff work when, like, you know, new manager comes in and uh, starts shouting at you? You well, guys all need to work harder. Blah, you're not fit enough. Eh? Or is it the kind of ploy that you might use with an eight-year-old? Well, I've had it a couple of times in my career. I'm sure James had it yeah. a couple of times in his career. Managers walk through the door and question our ability physically. Um, it does happen, but is it an easy right. way out? Terror Tuesdays. Right. Actually, <laughs> while, we're on this, while we're on this point, and just oh. to just to close out the, the Swansea portion, who's the shoutiest manager you ever had? Oh God! Let me come back. Ask James. I'll think. James, who's the shoutiest manager Cass ever had? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Related to your own career, George Burley. Uncle George, really? Yeah. Oh, I've got it. Laszlo Bolognini, Nancy. Really? He went crazy on the sidelines. 
verbal. The Romanian hard man. He was as well, by I the saw, way. I saw Nathan Jones the Ronaldo second father. So- Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. He was the one at Sporting who gave his debut to Cristiano. and yeah. Cristiano really loves him. He said to me when I joined at 34, I joined uh, Nancy, and he said to me, because uh, he didn't do the contract negotiations, he said, how long have you signed for? And I said... Well, 18 months, really nearly two years. And he went, I'll get four years out of you. And I thought, really? Oh, yeah. And when I played for him and trained, I know why I got four years, because <laughs> right. I'd never been so fit. So one of the highlights in uh, in the game this week, uh, Henry Winter travelling over to Barcelona to speak to Ivan Rakitic ahead of that that, that huge Barca-Manchester City game, Pep's homecoming and everything. Uh, I'm delighted to say that Henry's joining me now. Henry, you, you, you describe Rakitic as, uh, as kind of an, an unsung hero. And I have to say, like... He's not. He's, he's, I think he gets fairly well sung. I have to say, I was slightly surprised by that headline. One of the reasons why I wanted to go and see him was because he's been one of the, the players of European football twice in, I think, the Champions League team of the year. Um, and I think whenever Messi, Suarez and Neymar talk or other players there, they always sing Rakitic's praises. So I wouldn't say he's a sung, unsung here. I think he's fairly well sung. So it's just an opportunity just to go and see him and, and hear his take on why he's had such an impact at Barcelona. Yeah, I suppose on the unsung part, when you're on a team with, with Messi and Neymar and Iniesta and, and a guy who's married to Shakira, uh, you know, inevitably the attention shifts elsewhere. I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I was, I'm, I'm struck by the fact that, and you can talk about this, his, he has this incredible sort of two-way intensity in the sense that, that he provides quality and quantity. And especially when he plays alongside Iniesta, who was now of a certain age and who he described very poetically as a dancer, you kind of need that, don't you? Well, you know, when he went there from Sevilla, he was in a very good place at Sevilla. But he said when he went there, obviously he had to step up a level. It was the only club in the world he said he would have gone to. And just talking to people around him at the club when I got on Thursday, um, they were just saying he, he looks almost gaunt when you look at him. He's, he's, you know, when he went there, he was this, you know, had the blonde flowing hair. But you look at him now, and he's a real athlete. He's taller than I expected, but he's almost sort of slightly hollow-cheeked. 
because, he, as he says, he's lost four kilos, which is a huge amount for a football. I know this interview somewhere else today was at Melito saying that he's, you know, he's he's lost weight by uh, by by not eating sort of cakes and not so sort of drinking sort of fizzy drinks. But this is, you know, this is a player in Rakitic who's always looked after himself. You know, he's always cooked for himself. You know, he's got a nice Italian place near where he lives in Barcelona. He goes there, and he gets all the ingredients, and he cooks. He cooks for himself, but he's always done that ever since leaving home at, at 19. So to lose then, when you're fairly athletic, to then lose four kilograms. And he says, listen, I've got to do it because I'm running 10,000 meters um, a game plus to, uh, to to support these three great players up front and also in the S. He seems, what struck me again was just the, the extreme unselfishness of the guy. You, you look back to sort of the culture of Barcelona and players who maybe haven't worked out like Ibrahimovic, who comes at it from a totally different perspective, maybe derided some Barcelona players as sort of, you know, goody-goody choir boy types. He really seemed, I mean, there's a sincerity that, that, that comes through about the way he talks. It, that's one of the things that surprised me most. But what what surprised you, other than the, the, this weight loss thing? Do you, do you, when I tend to do interviews, I'm so interested in hearing them speak, that I just tend to let the quotes roll. So it's less of me sort of depicting them, the individual, and more giving them a platform. But what really struck me, which I probably should have put in the piece, just little details around him. Like we were sitting in a part of the, uh, the, the training ground, and we got up and we, you know, we were just sort of chatting as I walked back to the car, and he went back and just rearranged the chairs in, in the sort of, you know, just, just tidying up so that someone else wouldn't have to do it. Just little details like that. But little things that he said, which gave an insight. He said when he met his, um, you know, the waitress who then became his wife. And the Raquel. Famous, so Raquel, yeah, the, 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 the famous story, which everyone knows. Just little things like that. He said, I wanted to put myself in her shoes. And so he then sort of has this sort of mini monologue of what uh, what she would have been thinking. This blonde Croatian doesn't speak Spanish coming into my bar. Who does he think he is? Thought, but he'll be sort of you know gone in four months. See, ya. I'm not I'm not going to go out with you. And I just thought that in a world where we depict football as a very selfish, it's actually quite a sort of selfless thing to do. Isn't that Henry the culture of Barcelona, the the, the club and the relationship with their fans is a pretty special one in world football. I think that's right, I, and I think I think that's reflected, Cass, in the fact that they went and picked someone like him. So even though he was the main man at Sevilla, you know their, their, their first um, foreign captain since Maradona. In fact, they've only had two in 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 their history. You know, he's a uh, he's. I think he's always been a selfless individual. He talked about the debt that he owes his father, a decent player in Bosnia Herzegovina, and because of the political tensions there between the clubs and obviously in society itself, they moved to Switzerland. So he then had to sacrifice. He went and built up this workshop, and he then couldn't play the football and live the dream that he wanted to. So I think Rakitic is a very conscientious individual. And of course, that chimes with what Barcelona expect from their players. I don't know. Obviously, when you go and you do interviews, there's always stuff that, 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 that gets said that doesn't end up making it into the piece, although this is a, it's a, it's a fabulous uh, uh, spread on page 12 of the game. And the column alongside it is also very, very good because <laughs> uh, it's by me. But the column's brilliant, actually. I think <laughs> that you find people that I asked actually to be put next to your column because I know that it's you know it's like being on the, the program after Coronation Street. You're going to get quite a lot of people hanging around for that. You're too kind, Henry. But no, um, but I wanted to ask because one of the interesting things about Barcelona this year is that they've added a lot of players in terms of in, in terms of depth. Uh, so they probably have a deeper squad than they did last year, and you look at the development of Rafinha, who, who was outstanding mm. uh, at the weekend. Obviously, they, they signed Andre Gomes. Did, did he talk at all about, you know, obviously no footballer is going to say, oh, I'm scared of competition, but the fact that maybe he's actually, he might be playing a 
few less minutes this year, maybe you know hitting all the big games, but it, about how how that interplay is going to work with with Luis Enrique rotating more this year. But that should be the way it is. Whatever walk of life you're in, you, you've got competition. I think if anyone's got a cynic here, they're not going to produce. He says he thrives on that pressure. I think he enjoyed coming off the pitch after the Granada game when it was two years ago. They'd won 6-0. He'd scored. Messi had scored twice. Neymar got a hat-trick. And the first question was, you didn't do very well today. So I think that's the sort of pressure that is that actually works in most working environments, but particularly at Barcelona. So I can never understand where we are, Gavin. You'll know better than me. But Barcelona seems to have these transfer embargoes and keep on buying players. I don't quite know how that works. But okay, so if there's a pressure on him and they're good kids coming through, then excellent. I think he'll he'll thrive on that challenge. No, I I just have a personal weak spot for Rafinha. I think he's a he's a tremendous footballer, and uh, you know maybe when Iniesta's ready to move on, we'll see him uh, alongside Rakitic. Uh, Henry Winter, thanks so much. The uh, Ivan Rakitic interview is in uh, the game on page twelve, or you can get it online. A small news item struck me, and maybe you guys know a little bit more about this, but. I want to talk youth development. We've gone back to this. We have a specialist here in in, in SCOE. Manchester United have uh, apparently they have there's 30 academy products in the, in the Premier League. Liverpool have 12. Obviously, we're taping this on a Monday night. United play Liverpool this evening at Anfield, which is why it hasn't happened yet. So we won't be talking about the game. But I just thought this was an inter- interesting way to look at it. Liverpool have introduced a policy now where they're they're going to cap wages at youth level. I don't understand this at all about why this is a good idea, why, why you should introduce an official cap. I, I guess it's, it's tilted so there's more reward in terms of appearances and whatever. Somebody want to explain the rationale? Yeah, I'll explain it. They've been doing it for a while. They're not the only club to do it. Tottenham do it as well. Not quite sure that when they say cap because they've got a couple of special players, Harry Wilson being one who's, I think, 17, played for Wales. Yeah. He won't be capped. He'll be uh, paying. Tottenham do it as well. And Tottenham have probably just lost their best player, Nia Kirby, because of that. So it's... Almost it, suggests it, you're not really a fan. Well, you look at it. The, club, the clubs have got the money and the players. So if you're a 17-year-old there's still probably an 80% chance in 10 years' time you'll be out of the game. They're, mm. they're the statistics. That's a fact. So what are you going to say? Well, no, 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 you can't have this money. Well, even though you'll be out of the game in five year, years' time and you'll have to go and get a job and probably we could set you up for life like some clubs do. So what are they trying to... On, on that, and James is spot on, but also the fact is that most people find the loophole of if they want to play, they would still go and bend the rules slightly within their structure. Yeah, They'll do it. They so, do. They always move the goalposts. Yeah, but if, if if Liverpool offered the same amount of money for a player than another club, that player would stay. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I the mean, money would. You know, having a cap to me doesn't make any sense at all. If you give, which is not the case, but let's say if you if a 17 year old and we've seen that in clubs and James wants wants 50,000 a week or 40,000 a week at 17 after only playing for the reserve or the under 23, mm-hmm. never for the first team. Do you give him or not? But, but uh, if I it, think he's worth it, yeah. <laughs> if, if he's not, you don't. you know if he's worth it if he's never played for the first team? If you know, if, if some, seventeen. Well, that's how Daniel Sturridge really left Man City. He'd fallen but out with over wages. Man City offered him. I, I was led to believe. I was told at the time fifty-five grand a week to stay at City. Chelsea offered him more. He left. It's just to which it's, point do you go? That's the thing. Well, but the prime sorry, example but, is Paul Pogba at Manchester United. He, he was offered twenty grand a week, but he wanted more. So yeah, but he's not he's not a youth team player no. anymore. I mean, that we're talking about specifically about the strategy of capping youth team wages, right? Because with Pogba, he was going to sign a professional contract. 
Well, he already had a professional contract. He was going to sign like a proper contract. No, well, they, they, I, these are proper contracts. Yeah. The, 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 youth, the, the youth team players well, will be yeah. on government contracts, whatever. The, there used to be a so what's the logic? I don't understand. Why would you want to do that? Can anybody uh, argue about what? Like, I, I, know, I know you're going to say you're French and you love regulation and everything. No, 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 it's I'm not that. more free market oriented. No, it's just that I think, but, and, and, but Klopp does it for the first team as well. I don't think he's ready to spend 300000 a week for certain players. Same with Wenger. And no. I think there's the same. Let me just finish. I think they're the same with the youth teams. Klopp doesn't think he's right to pay a 17 year old who's never played for the first team £50,000 a week. And I, and I don't think. I, I'm not saying it's a good thing the, or a bad the, the thing. I'm just saying. But why have I can the see why. It all comes down to, deal to on a case two basis. clubs. And I won't mention them, but you can understand Why the two won't club, you mention them? Man City, Chelsea, that have blown <laughs> the market. Out of, Some 14 year olds at City and team up north. Fortunes already have completely blown the market away and they will sign anybody and anybody who's good and they'll pay a very, very large sum of money. So what do other clubs do? Do they think, well... And James is spot on. When you say you have this kid, 80% chance of not being a player in 15 or 10 years down the road and he's got no golden opportunity to secure it already because a club like A's Chelsea or Man City are going, well, we will pay you 60000 a week and you haven't played a game. They'll take a chance. Chelsea are taking a gamble on the lad, but, they, but they're believing. Right. Or City. So, to me, it's just, but then again, it will happen. City and Chelsea, it's not you, like you they're signing 100 players in every no, no, age group. No, no, no. So, well, no, no, they are. No. To, to a certain point. They're, they're, what do you mean? Well, a lot of clubs now are stockpiling seven, eight-year-olds, literally to stop everyone getting them, getting them in their system. And yeah, but you're not paying the seven, eight-year-olds. But I'm saying is, once it comes time to, well, you're making, are, are they getting paid? Yeah, they are, yeah. And the parents are getting paid. Eight-year-olds? Yeah. In England. That's yeah. one of the biggest problems I think the game's going to have to face is parents being paid yeah. for young Here's kids. What, this is what I don't understand, though. Am I right in thinking that until you turn 16, you can you can walk out on your club at any time, right? So there are no contracts. Right, but what's compensation going to be for a 10-year-old? So why would I give... If I had 8-year-old Cascarino, why would I pay his parents to have him join my club when I know he could up sticks and walk away at any time? Isn't well, it better to hire not, some not as easy to as that. No, your family? It's not, it's not as easy as that because yeah. you can, you can, you wouldn't do it at eight. So ideally clubs are trying to get them into their Don't system. Don't they hold the registration for yeah. a certain amount of time? Well, it, 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 the, the compensation's set, but what the uh, the Premier League now, that they're trying to make it impossible for Cat 1 Academies to buy off Cat 1 Academies. So they, they've, they've now come out and said they'd like the agent's thing, which is ridiculous, from 16. So you can only sign with an agent when you're 16 and now trying to get it down to 14. So basically the agents can do all the tapping up work and the clubs stay out of trouble. Wow. But it won't sort it out. It will no. always be same. Like United were very close to lose Marcus Rashford when yeah. he was not playing. And other big clubs, especially one very, very close to Manchester United's, clearly see the talent and would have would have offered him far more money than he was on a United so surely you're only getting paid what you're worth yeah, exactly exactly but yeah but, if someone's going to yeah, take you Messi is worth 300,000 a week or well whatever. he is now but he yeah. probably would have been but six. he was not on that at 17 the money that some like James was saying that some that some I'm are sure, on at 15 I'm already. sure Jews I'm sure that Barcelona had made it pretty clear that he was going nowhere. No, no, of course, but that's not the point. To. The point is, how can you tell what a 16-year-old is worth? It's impossible. All right, Howard Webb uh, has, a, has a book out, uh, which is serialized in The Times. When I first heard about this guy, referee's book, how good is it going to be? No, never going to be as good as Graham Paul's book, obviously. But it's funny because he's actually really, really open about a lot of things, about sort of, especially when he says it's not like this anymore, but if you go back, if you can go back and find this, he talks about how sort of the referees were divided into cliques, 
and there was sort of the the Graham Pole clique, which was sort of loosely like the soft Southerners, and then there was uh, the other quick uh, clique with um, what's the guy's name? Mark Halsey and Halsey yeah. Winter, Winter, people like that, yeah. who were like sort of the the Northern Tough. clique. Yeah. And at one point, like they, they nearly came to blows, and they sound like such a bunch of. At one point, they come to blows. And remember Uriah Rennie? Uriah <laughs> Rennie, who's like you know, who's a giant and a black belt in karate, I, I believe. Uh, and and he goes in, he has to separate people. And Webb talks about sort of being like a young, wide-eyed guy introducing that world. It's actually, even if you don't like Howard Webb, it's actually pretty fascinating stuff. But there's also a great thing in there when he talks about the. Uh, <laughs> There's a great picture here of the Nigel de Jong tackle on Xavi Alonso in the World Cup final. And you look at this and you say, like, how could you possibly miss it? Miss this? <laughs> how could you? But, you know, he's very, he's very honest about it. And he's also told that, curiously, at halftime in that game, and I find this actually kind of disturbing, and I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but if somebody did, I think there'd be a story in Holland and I'd be annoyed about this. So his linesman... Uh, who's this this Darren Can guy at halftime in the in the final? And you recall the the De Jong and Xavi Alonso tackle was early on. De Jong did not get sent off. He gets his phone because I guess he's going to go and play Tetris or something, and he sees all these text messages and all these people are saying that oh Howard that tackle a lot of referee a lot of people are saying that that should have been a red. They didn't violate any rules. There was no restriction on it. It seems I would hope there are restrictions now that a referee can't at halftime start receiving texts from people around the world or watching video because that would seriously impact the second half. But he goes on and he explains about this, how later, you know, the, the Dutch were then angry with him later in the game. They accused him of, you know, I think essentially makeup calls and, and whatnot. I don't know. It does provide an insight, I think. And I, you work with yeah. you, you work with Howard on, on, on television. He's given what his previous job was. He's actually a pretty pleasant guy. Uh, yeah, he's a great guy. And I think he, you know, he brings a lot of, inside knowledge of what can go through referees' mind during games and especially those kind of games, World Cup finals, big Champions League match. I'm not sure I would want to be the, well, Barca Man City is maybe a different game, but, you know, the referee tonight for a Liverpool-Manchester United game is a hell of a task and I don't think people realise how hard it is to referee a Liverpool-Manchester United game or any football game full stop, whether that's, a, you know, a youth level or Sunday League or whatever. It's a tough job and I think people... Mm. It's very easy to criticize referees when it's a really well, difficult job. What's also funny, and this ties into that, is the perception of referees being being fans. And he tells a great story. And it's ironic with him, too, because the big joke was that Howard Webb was a was a United fan. In fact, Rotherham. Well, in real life, he's a Rotherham yeah. fan. But the joke was that... Yeah. So apparently he was at, he, he had some kind of... He was involved in some sort of uh, refereeing get-together where they all got... I think they all got on the sauce a little bit and they all started singing You'll Never Walk Alone. Not because secretly... <laughs> They're uh, all Liverpool fans, yeah. Yeah, they're all Liverpool fans. No, they're actually all Celtic fans. And uh, he talks about Fergie having a go at him, trying to intimidate him, and uh, and basically you know telling him, "I've seen the video of you singing that song <laughs> and everything." And uh, and Webb says he stands up to Fergie, and then Fergie says, "Ah, I'm just messing with you, just trying to get inside your head. I know you're really a Rotherham fan," which I thought was hilarious. Anyway, yeah. the the books. Well, I don't know if the rest of the book is any good, but the extracts mm. I think make for uh, for a very good read. So uh, so go check it out. Time now for some quick hits. Chelsea's back three continues to yield results as they stomp all over Leicester, 3-0. Cass, has Antonio Conte found his magic formula with Aspilicueta as one of the, the centre halves? Well, I think he'll be delighted that he's gone back-to-back with two clean sheets because it's certainly in the early and part Lester of the season. And Leicester and Hall are such attacking dynamos that... 
Well, no, if you take the early part of the season where they did look at sixes and sevens defensively, <laughs> yeah. certainly Ivanovic being out there. John Terry, which was a surprise to a lot of people that he didn't go straight into the mode, uh, back into the side. I thought Chelsea were really good in lots of areas. David Luiz, always on the ball, you feel a little bit edgy. Tottenham are held at West Bromwich Albion 1-1, and they need a late Deli Alley goal to snatch a point. Julian, did we get a little too carried away in praising them last week? No, we, did, we didn't. It's, sometimes you've got more difficult games, especially away from home, where things are not just clicking and you're missing few players you'll be tired after the, especially after the international break they would be right up West there West Brom had an international break too right? yeah but not as many players you know were absent on international duties than Spurs so no I think we were right to praise them and we should praise them because they're a wonderful team with a wonderful manager and, and you know they'd be right up there throughout the season there's a very good Paul Ince interview in the game by Martin Ziegler Ince suggests that there ought to be a cap on foreign managers in England and uh, because quotas work very well. And uh, he says that he's one of the top five English managers. Scoey, let's pretend God appears to the Glazers, and he says, okay, you must appoint an English manager. Can you name five English coaches that you would rather have managing Manchester United, which is the club you support, ahead of Paul Ince? Yeah, that, that's just why I'm getting the Football League up. So I'm just starting at the bottom. Who's is a manager of... Um Barnet now, and we'll work our way up through the league. Martin Allen. Martin Allen, yeah. Mad so we'll, Dog, we'll, you take Mad Dog We'll over. go right away through the league, and then we'll get to Paul Ince. He really thinks he's in the top five. Can you name five English managers? Who are, who are the top five English managers right now? Eddie Howe. Okay. Alan Pardew, your mate. Bruce. I don't know, no helping. No helping. Gary Rowett, Birmingham, great yeah. job. Lee Johnson, up-and-coming manager. Who's Lee Johnson? Bristol City. City manager. <laughs> Championship. Okay. Four, yeah. That's four. You take so you think you take Lee Johnson over Paul Ince, okay? You haven't mentioned the current England manager or the one before him or the one before that. Sam. Okay, so you don't you you think there's many English managers who are better than Paul Ince? There's a few out if there. If he sat down and had a bit more time than just five seconds to think about <laughs> it, I'm sure he could come up with All right, enough Paul Ince. Bournemouth stomp all over Hull City six one just a few days after they made Mike Phelan's job permanent. Hey, great move there, guys. Made a huge difference, didn't it? Cass, I'm still waiting for Bournemouth to fall apart because I don't understand how they can just keep plugging along and still be so good. But I just have to accept the fact that they're for real and people mm. like Daniels and, and Wilson and maybe even Junior Stanislas are much better than I thought they were. Well, as you know, Gab, I did a piece before the game and they were separated by one point. Bournemouth won more than Hull at the weekend, but I thought there's a massive gulf in between the two clubs. If you look at the forward lines that Eddie Howe's got, you know, people like Wilson, Josh King, even the likes of Gradle, I, I mean, he's got a whole host of strikers that many clubs would love to have. Well, you, Josh King? <laughs> That's well, I harsh. think Hull wouldn't mind having a Josh King. Yeah. They would probably mind having a Phobie. They're players that, you know, that I think are a decent players for the, the squad and uh, they spent money I, I, off, I, they? But, but I don't think people overlook that yeah they, they spend a lot of money yeah. on forwards and also I'd add that my one thing I've always bothered me about Eddie Howe is can he put a team together that's better defensively and I say that because I think that's the only box he doesn't tick cool. I think Francis, everything else he, 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 spot on. he doesn't have a uh, plan B does he no not defensively his sides they got beat up by Tottenham at home last year Man City quite a few others Arsenal all got a lot of goals against them but in offensive and attacking football brilliant Watford went away at Middlesbrough and are actually in the top half of the table Julian they're another team playing with a back three uh, 
Is this enough for us to talk about a trend making its return? Yeah, I like I like the idea of a, a trend with the back three. We see it in France as well with Nice and Lyon, and and obviously this weekend, what third Manchester City and Chelsea playing playing uh, with the back three. Mazzari, uh, Watford was the, probably the first one to do even before Conte and and Pep where we admitted that Pep probably won't do it the whole season. But it's interesting. And what's also very interesting is that Juventus, the master of all three at the back, started playing four at the back this weekend under Allegri. So, but interesting. And I think it's a, it's a system that is underestimated by a lot of managers, but it's actually a very, very good one. Charlie Austin bags two as Southampton beat Burnley 3-1. Scoey, is Austin a viable week-in, week-out, 90-minute centre-forward in the Premier League? And if he is... Shouldn't he be getting some more love from Garrett Southgate? I think it will come. I think if you look at him since he's been in the Southampton side, is it seven goals in mm. six games? His actually goal-scoring record throughout his career is Phenomenal. fantastic. Yeah. It's it's a goal every other game, really. Wherever he's gone, even QPR when they got relegated, I think he got 18, 19 Premier League goals in a poor QPR side. Um, and I think if he continues, Southampton's the next step up. If he continues at Southampton and goes throughout the season, becomes, you know, gets 20, 25 goals, then, yeah, definitely, I think England is calling. Gab, one for you. We're all fascinated here by this crazy Mauro Icardi story. Tell us more. Well, this story begins in February of 2015 with uh, Inter Milan playing away to Sassuolo. Uh, Inter are terrible, so the travelling Inter fans demand that the players come come over to them after the game so that they can give them some encouragement, which is basically another word for abuse, but at least salute the visiting fans. As they do this, Icardi and Freddy Guarin get a ton of abuse. Uh, Icardi loses his head, starts shouting at them. Then Icardi, this is according to what Icardi wrote in his autobiography, and of course it stands to reason that you would write an autobiography at age 23 when you've been so successful and won everything in sight. Uh, according to his autobiography, Icardi takes off his... Uh, his trousers or his shorts and uh, and his kit, his full kit, stands in his underwear and he hands the kit to uh, an eight or ten year old boy. Uh, the inter supporters go intervene. They rip the kit out of the out of the little boy's hand, saying like, "No, don't take it from him, because he's a lazy so and so." And they throw it back onto the pitch. This is Icardi's version of events of what happened back then. There's no. TV evidence of this, and that's why the ultras are really unhappy that he wrote this in his book. He also wrote afterwards that when he went back into the dressing room, he told uh, all, all, all his teammates were proud of him for standing up to the ultras uh, with this sort of fictional incident that only happened in his head. And he also said that, you know, he wasn't scared of them. And if they messed with him, he'd call, he'd bring over 100 criminals uh, from Argentina and he would kill them all one by one. This is all in this guy's book, which has just been published. So you can imagine. Well, it's funny you you should you don't Mario. You, you're maybe not familiar with his background, but he's being advised by a woman named Wanda Nara, who is happens to be his girlfriend. Maybe it's his wife, his mother. He has a couple kids with her. Uh, she was previously the wife of. Maxi Lopez. Maxi Lopez, of course. They had this whole weird thing going on because Sampdoria. they played together at Sampdoria and Icardi was having a relationship with her and they, she was separated from Maxi, but like he started tweeting all these pictures of like the two of them like in bed, a picture of him like assembling Ikea furniture with her and like his underwear and stuff and total disrespect towards Maxi Lopez, as you can imagine. He's a very, very odd person. Um... Inter thought, like, if we give him the captain's armband, he'll suddenly become responsible. Yeah, because that's how that's how real life works. Uh, but anyway, he issued his groveling apology before the game this weekend. The fans are still furious. The, the, the club will 
probably fine him and discipline him. Had an absolute nightmare of a game. That's Frank DeBoer's fault for starting him. Uh, missed a couple sitters, missed a penalty, uh, and Inter ended up losing 2-1. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my guests, James Scowcroft, Tony Cascarino, Julian Lawrence, and especially Henry Winter, who joined us on the phone. Remember, it's just £12 for a 12-week trial of The Times. You can just search The Times online. There's a, there's a nifty app. There's some, some actually some good stuff to read, not just in not just in football, not just in sport, dare I say. Uh, please press that subscribe button or uh, wherever you choose to download your podcast and leave a review on iTunes uh, or if you happen to be listening on an Apple device like me. We'll be back next week. Till next time. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.